0: Happy New Year! Whoa, 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 whoa. We already did that. (laughs) Are you like Frosty the Snowman? It's like, happy birthday, no matter what day of the year it is. Uh, No, it's a new year, though.
1: It's another new year, Father Harrison. Why is it another new year? It's the year of St. Joseph.
0: Like doesn't it? Doesn't the phrase "new year" loses its meaning when you use it for everything?
1: No, I think there's multiple overlapping years going on at one point in time.
0: Okay, so, it's it, like so a, in other it's words... A, it's a layer cake of, of years. Okay, so what I'm hearing is is that it's the year of the Italians.
1: It's most certainly <laughs> the year of Italians. <laughs> yeah, you know, the funny is I don't, I'm not sure how many people know this. Um, I've got to do a better job about uh, preaching about it. But yeah, uh, the Holy Father was like, this year, year St. Joseph. It's the 150th anniversary of St. Joseph being declared the patron of the church, right? I think mm-hmm. that's why he did it. Mm-hmm. Something like that.
0: I couldn't remember and what it if, was. Uh,
1: yeah, I think, I think that's the reason. So, uh, just get your St. Joseph devotions yeah. going and 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 getting up and start yeah. praying some litanies and stuff. It's right. Year St. Joseph, which is great because, my goodness... Uh, What the world and church really needs is a understanding of masculinity and fatherhood Mm -hmm. and complementarity and silence and action that follows prayer and all that is very good to me. Mm -hmm. But there's something else I really want to talk about. So, you're St. Joseph, Happy New Year. Yes. But uh, I wanted to talk about a podcast that's not ours. Oh, uh oh. And normally, I don't like plugging other people's podcasts, but this one's really good. Father Harrison, have you listened to The Daughters Project yet?
0: I haven't. I want to. I mean, I keep on meaning to. I keep on meaning mm. to get onto it. I, and I, because I love those sisters. They're great friends. And I keep on forgetting to go on to Patreon to set up, sign up. Mm, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, the daughters, I mean, it's on. It's on. You can use your regular uh, old uh, streaming. Uh, I know, devices. but I want to also support them. Yeah. So uh, the daughters of St. Paul started their own podcast. That's right. It's wonderful. It's uh, it's very high quality. It's much better than our podcast. So just uh, stop listening to us. Start listening to the Daughters Project. Well, no, no. Uh, no but, um, but here's the is... thing:
0: these things aren't in competition what? with each other. They, yes, you, they are. You just talked about complementarity. It's like I did. I did not, talk it's about like, complementarity. Now, by listening to them and then listening to us, it's like breathing the two lungs of the church. mm
1: Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, like, it's kind of like uh, Pope Francis trying to breathe with two lungs. Like, one is just better than the other for uh, Pope Francis there. Um, <laughs> one is healthy and vibrant. And, and the other one is not existent like and dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. they have uh, three sisters on there. They are um, wonderful. The quality is very uh, good. Just, like, the audio quality. I was like, wow, listen to this, this. Is, this is really good. And uh, it's refreshingly... Down-to-earth and spiritual, it's very real, mm-hmm. um, and it's just really, it's really nice. I really like
0: it. Good. It's very pleasant. How long are the episodes? Was to my soul. What's that? How long are the episodes?
1: Oh, podcast length? Yeah. What are
0: they? An hour? Not quite as long as ours, but- Okay. Like half hour? 45 minutes?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think 45 minutes. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, I keep on meaning to check it out. I am a horrible friend who keeps on forgetting to hit download-
1: yeah, but I, I've, I've reached a point where I am listening to too many podcasts. I just found uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he'll like put out a couple times a year, like five-hour long podcasts. So I listened to like 20 hours on the Pacific uh, Theater of World War II, and now I'm learning about uh, the Persians, mm-hmm. and King Cyrus, and Darius, and wars against
0: the, what are they called, Greek people and stuff. Yep. Delightful. Nice. Yeah, I. I, I but that's what I've been doing. I, I listen to I listen to I got a good handful of podcasts I listen to I've actually been wanting to increase it a bit anyways but I've just been I've been listening actually to a, an audiobook lately a lot so on evolutionary biology so that's been kind of taking up a lot wow. of my listening time it's actually quite interesting it's it's trying to argue that what makes us um, unique beings in the evolutionary process is the fact that we are Uh, cultural creatures that we are that it's our cultural learning our our social learning and our social skills our ability to relate to another that we are primarily social by nature it that's the that's what gives us the edge over the other species um and it's really quite interesting and fascinating so that's been taking up a lot of my time so i've been a little behind on my podcasts and i feel bad and Mm -hmm. like a horrible friend so thank you very much for that yeah there you go let's, let's be honest what would life what? be if, if I wasn't feeling guilty with regards to religious sisters? That's true. Right? It's
1: very, it's very, <laughs> very Catholic-y. Exactly. Okay. Well, speaking of podcasts, you're listening to one right now. <laughs> Welcome to Clerically Speaking.
0: I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. And I'm kind of happy to sit down for a bit. I mean, I had a small f- funeral service this afternoon, but um, the majority of my day yesterday today has been, I, I'm sending out and signing personally and addressing personally at least in the card 750 Christmas cards right now. That's that's a lot of Christmas cards. You actually send Christmas cards? I am not a good Christmas card sender in general but I'm doing this for my parish this year. And that's I, very nice. I kind of well I, th- I came up with the idea in late November and I was kind of thinking about it. I kind of put it past parish council like we didn't really budget for this but I think it'd be a good idea and then we shut down for Christmas so I was like now I'm really happy I'm doing this <laughs> so uh, yeah, but you know and actually I was like I was like kind of afraid I was like man my wrist is gonna hurt after all this but it's actually not too bad I'm about halfway done so yeah 750 Christmas cards one going out to every household in the parish of course it is also a good experiment too because we're gonna get the return mail which tells us this person isn't in the parish anymore so it also kind of doubles as a database cleaner <laughs> uh, so question question yeah, yeah. Uh, do you like your signature it's fine I would love to be able to do something really fancy however I'm a lefty and so I will just take whatever I have mm -hmm. because I'm going to smudge whatever I have
1: I absolutely despise my own signature and my own handwriting Mm -hmm. it's the most difficult thing whenever I sign checks or journal is that I hate my own
0: handwriting you handwrite like you actually use cursive yeah I use cursive oh wow are you seventy? The story? Are you seventy-five years old?
1: No, no, no offense to think. anyone so who's seventy-five we years sem- old. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 So uh So in seminary, at one point in time, we had to, uh, write, uh, to was write. a request to become for candidacy. We're like, dear bishop, was that? You have to write all
0: your requests to the bishop.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's like, dear bishop, I would like to be a candidate for. Being a priest, could you make that happen for me, please? And the seminar was like, you have to handwrite this. And, oh boy, was that an embarrassing process for all of us who grew up typing things and never did any I of only that had uh, to, handwriting stuff. I, only, I printed
0: mine, like hand printed. Yeah, but even that, it looks kind of... Um, what are you for? You no, know, that's a lot. Listen, I, cursive has kind of gone the way of the past for whatever reason.
1: Well, anyway... I remember that, I mean, I realized that my handwriting is very bad, so I actually bought a book on handwriting, and then for like about a year, I practiced my handwriting, and was taking notes in classes with my handwriting, so now it's legible, it's not terrible as it was before, Mm -hmm. but still, I don't care for it. So
0: yes, I do do, uh, write cursive in my uh, journaling gotcha i know I, I'm, I'm I'm a printer I use and I take like I actually I, I write a lot for notes and stuff like that. I have a little journal I've been using for studying, so whenever I read an article or a book, I just put notes in this booklet in this like little journal, but it's always printed because all right you know and and you, I don't know it's it's fine it's it's faster for me. I could do cursive, I guess, but I, listen my cursive is always going to be bad well and okay, I don't know if I've ever shared this story. So, I actually, I mean, in grade one or two, when we were starting to learn cursive writing or whatever, or writing, printing and stuff, and letters of the alphabet, um, when I was in school, so I'm a lefty, but and so binders are not very helpful if you're left-handed, right? But my brain worked in such a way that um, I would write right to left... But the printing would be left to right, so it would read as if I was just writing normally, but I was doing it backwards. Apparently, this is what I did as a kid. That's crazy! It, it, Wait, so you write your letters?
1: You write your sentences backwards?
0: Yeah, I was writing. I was writing everything backwards, but it would read left to right.
1: So but because it wasn't, you
0: would. But because it wasn't done like everyone else, the teachers kind of like just killed it in me, and I don't remember ever doing that now. Really, my parents tell me this story all the time.
1: So if you're writing Harrison, you would spell it N-O-S-I-R-R-A-H.
0: Yeah, except it would read left to right still.
1: Right, right, right. You would just... That is fascinating. Apparently, I've always known you've had a weird brain, yeah. but that really confirms. Well, it. and
0: for me, that's always the story that tells me my brain is just always going to be weird and different. Because, <laughs> but I, for me, it was the intuitive solution of, well, okay, I can't if I do it this way, I'm going to smudge my writing. I'm not going to be able to write properly because of the right. rings in the binder. So, this is the way that obviously makes sense. But it's also kind of it's also a bit of an indictment <laughs> against sometimes systems education that says we can't make we can't be flexible mm. for uh different ways of doing things but it is what it is you live and learn but that was uh yeah so my so because of that i think i always got a bit behind in writing and now my writing's just horrible and i just accept that
1: well speaking of horrible writing let's read <laughs> some horribly written tweets in the suma Tweetologica. suma Tweetologica. suma Tweetologica. The Summa Theologica with St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is a summary of things that we found interesting on Twitter. First tweet that I would like to talk about is from Agnes Crawford. And this person tweets, In case you're wondering how things are going, the blood of San Gennaro has failed to liquefy in Naples. In the 20th century, this happened three times. 1939 1944 before the eruption of Vesuvius, and 1980 before the devastating earthquake at uh, Benevento. So for those who don't know this weird little thing about Catholic land, is that uh, the blood of uh, St. Januarius uh, is in a little little vial, and most of the times it's dusty, because that's what happens to blood after hundreds of years, it gets dusty. But on his feast day, the bishop goes in there to see if his blood has become juicy. If the dusty blood becomes juicy blood, things are okay. We're gonna have ourselves a great old year. If it doesn't become juicy, something bad is going to happen. At least that's the that's the lower T tradition, which is always. I I don't know
0: about you, but, here, but I feel like yeah. So what? Can I can I? No, I'll let you finish first. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. For me, it feels like uh, this happens like every six months, but it must happen once a year. But I feel like it's happening like all the time. Or maybe just because my, my idea of time is all, is all wonky-like. Um, but it's delightfully weird. I don't worry too much about it. Uh, but uh, it makes sense, you know? When everyone thinks that, oh, 2021 is going to be great, San Januarius is like, no, no, it's not.
0: Right. So, my, my, you know, when, when things like this go out and there is, uh, you know, claims of fantastical things, I always think, let's do some investigating. And so actually, because okay. I, I saw the tweet, we shared the tweet earlier, and I was like, oh, this isn't great. Um, but I was like, I wonder if there's more to the story or anything. And then actually, so I, I did some researching, and, and according to the CNA, actually, uh, quoting uh, Vatican journalist Francesco Antonio Grana, that the lith- liquefaction almost never happens on December 16th. And in the last 34 years, the number of times it has happened can be counted on one hand. So Wait, okay, so how many times do they check it? Three times a year, there are three feasts okay, a year. Okay,
1: good. It's not once yeah, a year. I'm yeah, no, 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 no. Reason. So
0: this is not his feast day. His feast days in September or May, one of those two. um That makes more but sense. We can also breathe a sigh of relief and 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 think, okay, just because it didn't liquefy today, doesn't mean anything bad's going to happen. You see, this is the problem sometimes when things just get said on social media. We just presume it's true and then freak out. Uh, but apparently this is actually quite normal for his blood not to liquefy. So we're okay. It is, but it's, you know, but it's worth talking, using that as an opportunity to talk about like weird Catholic relics and devotions. Cause it is, yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Like, it like for blood to liquefy on three separate occasions a year just seems like a very odd thing for God to use to show his presence in the world.
1: I mean, on one hand, it does, but like, on the other, like, not to put myself into the mind of God, but it seems like a really fun way to do it. You know, why do something? Why send a letter? You know, right. why send the world an email? Why not do something completely and utterly weird?
0: That's way more fun. It's, oh, it's totally more fun. And I think that's the way you have to look at it. it it's God's playfulness, right? Like I always, the, I always use the image. I always like to talk about how Jesus says, if you had faith, the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain or to this bellberry bush, go into the sea or whatever like that, or this mountain go over there. And I'm thinking to myself, only a child would, would see things that way. Like that's the playfulness of God that this totally, um, yeah, this totally like, uh, impossible thing would be the most fantastical way to show playfulness. And so, yeah, I think that's yeah. the way you have to look at it, right? It's, it's, it's this kind of playful lens, this kind of sense of like, because there's a reason Jesus says we have to have a heart of a child, because when you have the heart of a child, then there is a playfulness with, cre- with God's creation. And that God even has this playfulness with him, right? Uh, you know, there's that famous kind of talk about the Trinity's perichoresis. It's a dance, but it's like also play, right um there's a truth to that and that's and it's something we lose in our humanity and so i think even with miracles it it seems if it seems weird then maybe we're too grown up
1: yes i agree with that but also i'm thinking you know god often kind of delegates through the saints this is why he allows saint mm-hmm. anthony to find your wallet all the time right. um, it's god's grace moving but he likes to you know the saints they do stuff in heaven yeah. and so you've got to wonder uh and this is this is purely uh by analogy but like God and Saint Januarius have to have a conversation like every, 3 times a year. Yeah. And God's like and Januarius is like, "Uh, can I justify my blood th- today or no? What's what's the deal? What are we going to do today?" And uh, <laughs> I just find that delightful.
0: <laughs> it is. It is delightful it is. But I, at the same time I think we should just console people to know that it's not common for his blood to liquefy today and so it doesn't foretell the end of the world or some calamity coming. No. Nah. It's just um, the because I think that's the thing too right we got to be careful Like we should see things in a playful way not in a magical way so playfulness allows to see this kind of happenstance of things and to as I was talking about earlier but magic is about power over things right? And so that we, and this is a way we often see God's grace is we see it as terms of magic and power over things. And so it can manipulate according to its will. That's not the way miracles should work. They're working in a playful way, not in a um, magical way, but we have this tendency to fall into that magical thinking, even as Catholics, the way we approach a lot of things. So, if we're not approaching it with playfulness, then maybe we need to kind of work on our heart and grow in childlikeness a bit.
1: Yeah, I think we also have to have a an understanding of the wider scope of history and where we're going, and uh, the eschaton and the end of time mm-hmm. and everything. It's uh, there's going to be a lot of good stuff and bad stuff that happens before the end of time. That's right. So there's really no reason to like super freak out about things mm-hmm. um, either way, because in the end we know where the story's going. Well, exactly. So. And also. If you're like, you know what, I don't really care or buy into the Januarius uh, blood justification thing, that's okay. You can still be a good it's Catholic. It's still
0: not a miracle actually technically recognized by the church anyways. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not, you know, the people, the, like, popes have gone there and stuff, but it's not, like, officially, right. it's not, it doesn't mm-hmm. have, like, the official stamp or whatever. Cool. So there you go. So, you know, just chill. Yeah. Have some fun with it because that's the way God is. Yes. <laughs> Alright. Um I want to go. We actually have uh hmm. Yeah. Uh from Father Josh at Tweet Mob. Still thinking about the part where Bo Katan unveils and reveals that Mando was raised in the SSPX. <laughs> so have you been watching The Mandalorian? I have. I just caught up. So spoiler
1: warning. Okay. Yes. So those who, are,
0: who haven't been watching or who are waiting to for whatever, um, if you haven't seen the episode, yeah, just spoilers, spoilers. Okay. Uh, I've been watching Mandalorian too, and I, this season has been even better than the first. Um, it, it's okay. I'm gonna, before I go into father Josh's tweet here, uh, it's been okay. it's been it's been exciting on a multiple multiple levels. First, I think it's just a revolutionary show. It's changed how we can approach television now because now it's made a movie property into a fantastic, substantial, well-written, well-produced television show. Up until now, most comic book television shows or anything like that have been very cheaply made. The storytelling has been subpar. The acting has been meh. And I'll get, even in Mandalorian, sometimes the am acting. That's the only thing. I'm like, sometimes the, although the second season has been way better, but the first season, the acting was a little on the cheap. Um, but generally, I'm like, and I think it shows with their recent unveiling of all the new shows they're going to be doing, that this has been not only a success, um, this has been a revolution and it's exciting to see now that they can expand the Star Wars universe in ways that it goes beyond just having a movie right um, and that you can and and they've done it so well it's not in this let's just throw in these new characters who come out of nowhere but it's like slow introductions right so like like someone like Ahsoka Tano which like when she showed up I was just like ah, I was so excited Uh but you know, she yeah, she was a new character that showed up in Clone Wars, but she kind of slowly developed and she took on a more central role as the show developed. And then and then same thing with Rebels, she took on a very central role there too. So over like they're doing this kind of slow integration, and it's connected to the universe, but it's also got its own storyline. It's kept the aesthetic of Star Wars, um all these things. I just – I'm so excited to see what they're going to do in the future, and I'm so excited that it's Favreau and Filoni who are at the helm, really, of the creativity. Do you have any comments on that before we actually talk about Father Josh's tweet?
1: <laughs> uh, just I, – I, so I haven't watched Rebels or – what's the other one? Uh, Clone Clone um, Wars. Clone Wars. I, I watched a few episodes, haven't really gotten all the way into it. Um, so if even if you're not into the uh, expanded sort of uh, universe, you can still enjoy the show, which I have. But even there's like a bunch of fun stuff, if your only experience of it is the movies, then there's still like stuff there for you as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it does a nice job of balancing. Um, it's telling its own story. Um, and some people critique it for fan service, but it's like, no, it just cares about the universe and the characters and it treats them
0: well i don't think that's fan service i think that's like using the stuff that you have i think right. that's Did good you also like that's part of entertainment is you should do fan service like if you yeah, want this, i mean why not especially with like, stuff like i that. think that's why that's why a lot of people had frustrations with the last jedi it it, it really it tried to subvert the whole idea of fan service it just it just like right. it just kind of Yeah, upended all of that. And and there's nothing wrong with it, but they do it in a, but they don't do it in a pandering way. It's not like, oh, and Anakin built C3PO. I'm like, what? Right? No, no, (laughs) this is like, the connections make sense. The connections make sense. And, and, and I think that's, that's just amazing. Right. And so it's been a, like every Friday, I just, I get very excited for Fridays and I'm really excited for the last show. I'll say the first,
1: the first few episodes for me, it felt a little bit like watching a video game. Like, the first couple episodes were like, oh, you have to go here, and in order to complete this quest, you have to do this quest for somebody else, and this happens and that happens. So, there's a little bit of that, but still entertaining, yep. you know, a good way to waste some time. Yep. Um, but the last, like, two episodes have been like, wow, I've been, like, very much enjoying it. Yep. So, yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good time waster. Okay. okay. So, what's this deal <laughs> about the SSPX and
0: Mandalorians and what the heck? All right. So, this is the um, episode where Bo-Katan, Bo-Katan shows up. So, she is a Mandalorian as well. Um, Katie Sackhoff does the voice of her actually in Clone Wars and Rebels. And so she actually plays her in the show too, which I thought was a neat little connection. That's fun. Yeah, that was really fun. And so um, what we find out is that um, Mando is essentially um, in a cult or in a sect of Mandalorians, right? Because the thing is you can never take off your helmet ever there's never a lo- You're just never, ever allowed. He's under the impression that this is the Mandalorian way. This is the way, right? Um, yes. And so when Bo-Katan, and I was always confused by that, because I'm like, I've seen Rebels. I've seen Clone Wars. Mandalorians are always taking their helmet off. So it was, right. I was like, that seems like a story. A- like, how did they miss that? So when she showed up and they kind of used that as an opportunity to explain things, it, it helped me understand that more. Uh, but yeah, it's essentially – so he's in a uh, traditionalist sect of Mandalorians who see a, a strong importance in aesthetics and, and form <laughs> And strict adherence to a code of law without any possibility for budging, um, and that is, and so what Father Josh calls it, the SSPX. This was a comment a few people made, and I kind of said, "Oh, yeah, there's, there's something there, maybe." Um, it's because yeah, so because he, but it's interesting, like, and that's part of the struggle of the whole show is him coming, maybe, and I think that's going to be something we're going to explore more in season three. Is is his relationship with this kind of extremist version of Mandalorians?
1: Yeah, and it's the way they do it is awesome because you know, they take off their helmets yeah. and he looks at them and he's like, What are you doing? Yeah. And then one of the other Mandalorians says, Oh, he's one of those. And it's like, ah, yeah. So I made a connection as well. And also like stuff like that, using what seems like um, uh, gaps in the narrative mm-hmm. and actually like tying them together very nicely in a way that makes sense and brings a greater depth. To the story right. and the world building, like stuff like that's really great, and so they've been really
0: good about that. And, like, and do it. The other cool thing was that with that too was it, it was they said, "Oh, he's one of those," but it was like in a non-judgmental way though too, right? Like they, they work together. They uh, they have a common mission, together, right? Yeah. It, it, it shows you too that okay, this person might even be a bit of an extremist, but they're not the enemy, and so. Mm-hmm you know, maybe there's some bridge building. <laughs>
1: They're just sometimes slightly annoying about the helmet. Thing.
0: Right. And I mean, listen, they, they do kind of clash, but they also kind of find some commonality in their mission together. Right. So, uh, it was, and I'm sure bo Katan's going to show up some more in the show as well. So, um, because yeah, it, it was, it, the more I reflect on it and I just think this has been, and it's, this is the other cool thing in the end too, generally now I'm going back to general after the SSPX thing. Um, yeah. It's the first time in a very long time that we've had a television show that's a cultural event. Yes. This is something everyone's talking about. This is something everybody looks forward to on Fridays, right? This is something that um, everyone is kind of tapped into. That hasn't happened in forever. I mean, yeah, there are shows like Stranger Things and stuff like that, but those haven't... Those aren't things that can cross generations. It's it's the sign of a good intellectual property that it can be something that children can enjoy, teens can enjoy, young adults can enjoy, adults can enjoy. All these generations can enjoy it together, and they're all involved in it. And and that's something good. Like, that's actually something really good. We need cultural things that draw us together again as a people because we can get so divisive today, so— it's been really neat just to see that as an experience and it's been really lovely because back in the day when when there was only just your cable TV shows, that happened because that's all you had. Now there's like an infinity right. amount of streaming services. There's shows that appeal to one or two million people and that's it. This is something that's crossing that and and so it, it shows you like Disney was right to go into streaming and they're gonna be hard to stop. They already they got to their goal for 2024 for subscribers by this year. They wanted to get 84 million oh. subscribers by 2024. They're already there. So interesting. it's been, it's been fascinating on a multiple... Well, sorry, I could talk about this all day. I'll just say one more yeah. thing.
1: If you're one of these people who watches it like Friday morning at 12 a.m. or like you watch it like 6 or 7 a.m. or whatever... Uh, I'm not like a big oh no spoil- spoilers thing because I-, I still watch stuff even if I know what's going on. I don't care. But but stop yeah. tweeting about it. Could you just wait a couple <laughs> hours for the people who care about it? That's just rude. Like, you're watching The Mandalorian at like 5 a.m. or like 2 a.m. Like, come on. Like, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the big spoilers guy, but that just seems a little much. Keep it to yourself. Especially, Tweet about something especially
0: else. Especially for this Friday's episode because it's the last one of the season.
1: Oh, is it? Okay, that makes sense, because it's coming to the climax. Yeah. Good. All, All right. right. That's it. Time for presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh yes. yes, quite good, quite good. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. learn it's my favorite part oh. it's, the part. <laughs> yes. yes, quite. quite. Yes, quite. Uh, This is good because you you said a few things about culture and things, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. Okay. I kind of want to talk about what the heck is going on. <laughs> okay. This is something that has been bubbling in my brain for the last two years at least, and more and more so now. And I'm hoping to come to some conclusions that make some kind of sense. Um, But I think everyone would agree that we're in a weird cultural moment in the West, and especially, particularly in in the United States. Right. And there are some forces in our culture that have made sense to me for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the um, materialist, atheist, uh, left-wing kind of movement, progressive movement in our culture, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I think it's bad. Right. I think it's real bad, but it makes sense. What happens to a culture when you uh, abandon God, you revive the idea of that progress will always be good, that technology will always be a force for good that um once you cast off the shackles of religion like this is an old idea going back to renaissance times and we're just seeing it kind of grow and it hit some hiccups you know some bumps Mm -hmm. in the road with the whole two world wars thing but because we have such a um lack of historical understanding i think it's been revived in some ways right okay and that makes sense And we we
0: have no sense of tradition Right? So, when you have no yes. sense of tradition, you can't really um, be rooted as a people.
1: Right. And it's something that should be fought against and is, uh, I think, a force of evil. It's contributing to the culture of death, all that. So, it's something that like I have grown up in and understood, I think, on some level for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a slightly different movement that is maybe more troubling to me uh, because it's n- newer... In a sense, um, I think a lot of the forces are probably older, but just it, this manifestation is newer, and it's it's all these things with like a a normalization of conspiracy thinking. Um, I think it was really manifested in that uh, whole Jericho rally uh, for Trump, and I've read some things about what happened and the things that were said there. This r- religious fervor into our politics that is draining everyone's energy, um, the fa- the, the, like you mentioned, the divisiveness in our culture and what's going on with that, the increased polarization, I'm like, okay, what? what is going on? And it bothers me particularly because it's seeping into like this sort of thing, this sort of energy happening in evangelical circles, that's been going on for a while, um, not surprising. But what's more and more distressing is that seeping more and more into Catholic circles uh, and it's becoming more and more ordinary uh, in the church and even high-ranking members of the church. You're like, okay, what is going on with this, this, this new kind of thing? I think part of it has to do with what we talked about, a Catholic atheism, that while intellectually, Many many Catholics will say they believe in God, Uh, functionally speaking, as far as living out their life, making decisions about it, we act as if God does not exist. That we live in a purely materialistic world. That the church is purely a physical and social structure devoid of grace and providence. That it is a structure that we have to fix uh, through our own powers. And you see that on both sides, both left and right, you see the you know effects of it. You see it very much so with the abuse uh, crisis and scandal that the church tends to treat every sort of problem like a PR problem instead of a deep spiritual problem. That we worry about you know what is the policy here instead of what would a good father do. Like you see it in that, but I think you see it in this other aspect of what, as well. And I do think it comes to the fact that. It's not just a sort of atheism, I think it's a using of God, where God becomes a means to an end that, and this is the weird thing because you had a few Catholics speaking at this rally, you had evangelicals speaking at this rally, and what united them was not Christianity, but a political agenda. That God was very much so being used. Mm-hmm. So, the, I'm reading a little bit of uh, Christopher uh, Dawson, uh, which I want to get more into his thought. He's a very Augustinian historical thinker. And he basically believes that the key to history, to understanding history, is to understanding religion. And I think this is very important because in a lot of historical thinking, um, there's this kind of wiping away or pushing to the side, religious reasons for doing things. So wars aren't done for religious reasons. They're done for political, economic power reasons. And then the leaders will slap on, um, a religious thing to get the populace stirred up and get them on their side. Now there's an aspect of truth to this, right? Because, um, There's definitely materialistic motives for policy and wars and such throughout the ages. But if you go too far with that, you forget that human beings have been deeply religious until the last few hundred years. That we ignore the religious motives in a culture. Um, And even the idea of society, we construct it as a contract that we work better. As individuals, if we decide not to kill each other and to have some sort of structure and government and society, but historically speaking, that's not really how peoples work. How people really work is we're in the same area, we believe in these same gods, and that influences our thinking and that sort of thing. And very much so throughout history, um, gods were very much uh, localized, even to the point of. If you're going to attack a a foreign nation in the ancient world, one of the things you could do to really destroy them was to take away a statue of their god. Not exactly that the statue was god, but kind of the source of the god's power. So if you steal their statue of their god, it's kind of like stealing all of their churches and their statue of liberty and them being kind of abandoned. This was like deeply held beliefs in the ancient world. Does that all make sense so far? what you have with i think beginning with uh the protestant uh, reformation wars of religion um in that in that era you have the the death of the cultural Bindings in uh, Europe, not that Europe has always been peaceful, not that Christendom right. was always this super like we're all we all love Jesus together. There are still wars. Mm-hmm. there's still a lot of bad things that happen, right, right. but it lost but there it, is this kind it of lost
0: its cohesive whole
1: It lost its cohesive whole, yeah. okay and so if and, and in a deeper sense, if a culture loses its cult, it's going to disintegrate. But what you have in the last few hundred years is kind of like, okay, you've lost the energy of the culture, but it's kind of like um, like you're running towards the finish line and you jump. So you're going to kind of go extra far, but you're going to fall flat on your face. So, you have a, you know, the uh, liberalism, uh, freedom, the idea that nations can kind of work together, that there's still like these fumes of Christianity within the West, um, even things like caring for the poor, or I mean, even things as crazy, I would say, as like um, extreme. Um, look at an organization like PETA. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have that without Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a twisting of the idea of helping those who are lesser. And there's a religious like, kind of fervor in that. These all these kind of like Christian energies that have been have dissipated once you lose the center, once you lose the um, the power, it just kind of goes out. Right. And I think even to an extent, the founding of the U.S. is founded on the fumes of Christianity. Okay. Um, so you do, in one sense, have a religious people who have moved to um, North America and it's still a part of the culture all the founding fathers would have been familiar with the bible and that sort of thing but it's it's not it's not a a true christianity it's a kind of deism Mm -hmm. and that for a while sustains morals and we even know that like not incredibly well you still have slavery you still have all these other problems Mm -hmm. right but now we're at a point where that energy source that leap um, towards the future, I think now we're in the middle of a of a face plant. Mm-hmm. Movements of cultures throughout history, there are movements and changes, right? So you've got, and I'm speaking very broad strokes from a very um, amateur perspective on history, uh, but let's say you've got uh, Islam um, kind of integrating itself in the east. Mm-hmm. There's an integration of the uh, pagan culture, the Islamic culture, and you get something kind of new. There's uh, a replacement, a a movement, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Or just Christianity. So you have Christianity moving toward the West, um, taking in... um, different ideas and using it and integrating it and that sort of thing. Or Christianity moving to the East or to Africa. There's this kind of, not quite a synthesis, but an incorporation of that culture. There's something that is a movement, all right? But now that we've lost the, the cultural generator of cults, there's nothing to replace what's going on. So we're kind of in a void. So this is where I think you get uh, postmodernism. Postmodernism isn't the only thing going on here. Because human beings are a religious creature, there's still that desire for some kind of religion. The spiritual energy has to go somewhere. So for some people, it's going to this idea of progressivism, the perfectibility of human beings. Um, but for some, it's, it's a desire to make a new cult. And so I see in the right, in the U.S., you're building a new mythology. You're building new heroes. You're building new gods. You're building new prophecy. And that's what I kind of see with, with QAnon, mm-hmm. with the elevation of political leaders. Um, it's, we can't go back to a pure kind of uh, pagan barbarism anymore. It's going to be something new and something different because even throughout the pagan cultures, okay, maybe there's a changing of the gods or like Rome kind of adopts uh, Hellenistic gods. There's still a continuity in that. But for us, we don't have continuity. So you've got this human energy movement and desire. There's still maybe a few lingering fumes of Christianity uh, in, in the culture, but there's no energy kind of behind it. And so I think you see a, a new building of a new kind of cult. Has anything I said made sense? Sort of. I'm just
0: is very large brushstrokes. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: very much so. There's going to be a lot of expe- exceptions to everything I've said. Right. But I, I'm I'm thinking big picture kind of movements. Where are we? The thing is, as, this isn't even. But this isn't
0: also new. This has happened before in France, for example, in the early 20th century, Mm -hmm. uh, where many Catholics associated themselves with l'Action Francaise, which was a political movement, an extreme right political movement, uh, attempting to – where the founder essentially was an agnostic at best, probably an atheist, um, who – used the church to, he said, listen, no, the church has to be kind of essentially governing the state again. And and he kind of got a lot of Catholics behind him and wanting to bring back um, the older forms of rule in France around kings and stuff like this. And and he used the church for his own political ends and Catholics bought into it um, to the nail. They just, it was very strongly supported for about, 10, 15 years until Pius XI hit the smackdown on them and put the interdict down and said, anybody who participates in l'action française is automatically excommunicated, is not in good standing with the church and has to go to confession uh, and stuff like that to uh, be reinstituted to the sacraments. So this isn't new. This is why, like, for me, it's... it's There's a truth about the fumes, but the... uh, I don't think there's been a void because there's never been. A, I don't. I guess I, I, where I'm where I'm kind of um, struggling over is the idea of a void. I don't think there's been a void because there's always something to. There's always going to be a religious expression. What we've not given serious thought to, and perhaps uh, this is strongly said for someone from Canada, is that the way America went about her own founding is itself a religious action. There is a reason um, Christian fundamentalism is strong largely in America. There is a reason why American evangelicalism is essentially... um American religion with the veneer of Christianity. Because what we haven't really given thought to is the fact that the, there isn't really a void, but rather that America wanted to be the cult.
1: See, okay, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, maybe my point, or maybe one of my points is that the the spiritual energy or the idea um, of that of that founding doesn't have within itself sustainability. No, no,
0: I agree with you there. I, I mean, because it's right. not from God. Anything not from God is ultimately unsustainable, right? Because when right. you tr- create your own spiritual framework, it will break and we'll fumble and and it's not even trying to say there's something intentional there right i'm not saying like the founding fathers were intentionally trying to find it it, it's much deeper and and often unconscious than that i'm not it's just we i'm just saying that we haven't um we haven't confronted the idea that the way like uh, we haven't confronted the heresy of americanism which is really a whole other episode um so I, I no, but I, I agree with you. Like it, it can't last. It can't last because anything. It's the it's the Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel, all, over and over again, right? Where you're trying to reach up to heaven by your own power.
1: Yeah, and like you you mentioned that that French movement, and we we see um, kind of imitations of that. I think with. Uh, on some corners of Catholic internet mm-hmm. and some thought circles about uh, integralism and that sort of thing, um, and you also see a lot of um, young people uh, attracted to Catholicism for the ascetics or for this idea of culture or even an idea of of whiteness you have you have all that um, but you see that um, maybe this is a tangent maybe this is related, but the way uh, the culture was both changed and sustained uh, after the fall of Rome was through the monasteries. Once again, sp- speaking broadly, right? But the reason why the monasteries were able to keep the good of the pagan culture and um, evangelize the area and convert nations, sometimes very, you know, imperfectly, mm-hmm. uh, is because their priorities were God first. Mm-hmm. Everything else came secondary. Mm-hmm. You know, um you form this community, and the idea of that community in that monastery isn't necessarily to we need to turn this swampland into a garden, or we need to make this land uh fertile for crops and you know vineyards and this sort of thing. The idea was not to save the culture or perfect the culture. The idea was like, God comes first, and everything else flows from mm-hmm. that. What you have with uh, some of the spiritual movements in the U.S. right now is we want to fix the culture, so we'll use God to do Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. God becomes a means because God doesn't actually have the, like grace isn't actually a thing, I think, in these movements. And on top of that, it's not just that grace doesn't have power in these movements. It's that there's no understanding of, no genuine Christian understanding of history. That ultimately, this is all a story that God is telling. That we see, and this happens very much so even in parishes, that we see ourselves as the centers of history, as individuals. And a lot of times, like this isn't even a um, people being malicious or anything. They just see all the genuine wrong that is happening in the world, all the genuine wrong that's happening in the church, and they think to themselves, how can I fix this? And there's, I mean, that comes not from a, necessarily a bad place, but I also believe that, that that comes from an ultimate lack of trust in the providence of God, that God ultimately is the one writing history. And, it, and like I said, it's not, it's not like the, that we are these utter uh, um, silent pacifists who do nothing, but this is a very hard thing to detect in our own hearts. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of the very sneaky movements of pride, mm-hmm. that the enemy tempts us um, to do good things but in the wrong way. But like I said, I think this is, this is a kind of end up, we're, we're using God for what we see as higher purposes. And some of the higher purposes are the culture. Some of the higher purposes are the state. Um, because, or, or particular, grown- or
0: particular ideologies, yeah. You know, I, I want, cause I wanted to just throw yeah. in one little caveat, because I think some listeners are going to hear this and just think, okay, well, what about the left? Um, the same thing. This is the thing that yeah. they actually, this holds just as much true on both sides. Um, this is not just a critique of the right. It's also a critique of the left where we were an ideology Catholics cannot be ideological because we're not about an idea. We're about a person. Okay. Yeah. Ideologies. Um, and this is, this is the problem. And this is like, this is a whole other thing. And I, I, I was a little behind the curtain. Father Anthony even texting. because so I'm like, I want to do an episode or maybe a two parter on how to think as a Catholic, um, mm-hmm. which is going to be broader than this because I think it's important. But um, to think as a Catholic as a little kind of hint into this is the idea that if you see ideologies, which is how we are formed to think today, okay? And that has a bunch of roots, okay? Uh, it has roots in a lot of philosophical tradition, especially with Hegel, essentially. Um, so the idea is you cr- you have this system or this ideal as to what you think the world should look like. And then you try to fit the world into that box. And you're going to do whatever it takes politically, religiously, socially, whatever, to make that happen. The problem is um, ideology. It goes against the fact of createdness. It goes af- against the fact of God. It goes after the fact of our concrete existence. It goes after. It goes against. Um, what we in philosophy call like epistemology, how we know things. It it goes against a lot of things. Like I said, this is a bigger topic than I can do right now. But um, uh, what what Father Anthony is kind of getting at here is really is, is that we are essentially breathing the air of ideology and thinking that I can fit Catholicism into that somehow. Yeah, but that's not how the church works, and that's not how a Catholic is supposed to think. And it's very dangerous. and And I, I share your concern because you see it a lot online on both sides, on yeah. both sides. Okay. Um, and to be a Catholic means you have to think and look at the world differently. You have you have to look at the world through the lens of faith. Right? which is a participation in the vision of Jesus. And if that is, which means then you have to be reflective. You can't just be reactive. If you see something you don't like and you just go back out after it, that's not Catholic. I'm sorry. And that might offend someone who listens, and I'm sorry. But cause here's the thing. I do it too sometimes. So I'm not like, I'm. I rec- but I recognize it, I repent of it, and I try to move forward. I'm trying to become more reflective. I'm not trying to react right away because I have to ask myself how does is there anything good here first because sometimes there there are goods like you know uh, there are some really important things to talk about in regards to racism and, and and stuff around gender like those are important things but they come from the lens and the heart of the church not uh the church has to align with my politics if the church aligns with your politics you stopped you stop being Catholic, mm-hmm. and you've become a political entity. And so, I think this is what you're kind of getting at, because like the problem becomes then when you when you put your cards in that all your eggs in that basket, that basket's going to be dropped and break one day, and it's going to be all gone. Um, we have to do it from the heart of the church.
1: Yeah, and so I think there is uh, a solution or a, something that people can do. Uh, concretely, um, and I think that is the renewal of the parish. Mm-hmm. If if culture comes from cult, I think the, the the one difficulty and the reason why you have so much anger is because there's been kind of a dimming of the bulb of Catholicism. Mm-hmm. You've got um, you know weak leaders in the church. You have weak liturgy in the church, uh, and our initial reaction is we need to fix this top down. We need to have the right bishops, Mm -hmm. we need to have the right politicians. But that's never how culture I mean, it has an influence on the culture, sure. Uh, But we're trying to fix the branches and not the roots. Mm -hmm. And I think the roots are in parish life. There's so often an attempt to Whenever we're trying to reform parishes, we're trying to make parishes successful or to look like this or to look like that. Mm instead of just kind of cleaning the dust off the the bulb of uh, the parish. Mm-hmm. I think that's what needs to happen. Um, and I've been very against a oversimplistic, save the liturgy, save the world. But I think there is some kind of truth to that. Mm-hmm. I think if the mass is the source and summit of our faith, if this is the primary means by which we... Um, encounter God, or the strongest means by which we encounter God in the sacrifice, in the reception of the Eucharist, that culture begins on that Mm -hmm. level. It also begins on the level of, and this is something that I'm seeing a lot of, of, and and it's so funny because a lot of families think they're doing this poorly, I'm seeing a lot of young Catholic families do an amazing job of raising their kids Catholic, Mm -hmm. and they feel like they're stumbling a bit because they don't have a lot of models either from their own life or lives around them, but it's, I see it happening in these little pockets. and. Or uh, individuals, um, bringing people together, bringing them into their homes when, when, when we can. Uh, ugh, ugh. Um, but like, that's how change actually happens. But the only reason that we have to make sure that we're not doing this for the purpose of, quote unquote, the culture, or for the purpose of, quote unquote, um, saving the nation or making it great, or it, it has to be for the sake of God and then everything else flows from it. It's a stance of humility that I think we've lost mm-hmm. because we think that one, we're the center, and two, we're the only powers at work in this world. Right. And it doesn't
0: help that, this is something I've been reflecting on, on lately, it doesn't help that we have access to information about everything that's going on everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So that often feeds things, and we it takes our attention away from what we what we can actually control, right? Like, like you know, some people like, complain about some of the stuff that's sometimes going on in Rome, and I'm like, <laughs> what can i do honestly literally what could i do nothing but i can do something in my parish so why are you wasting your time the people who can do something that's for them to worry about and trust them to do something right um, and i'm not saying you can't you can't actually always put attention on higher level things i'm not this i'm not trying to say anything about i'm talking about roman generally cuz there there's always stuff going on right it's just um, but um um that should take up like 2% of our brain space at best at best because um, you, you can't really do much but you can um, you can throw your imagine imagine if all the energy we spend every week going online reading about what's going on in the church in the world and all our politics 3, 5, 10 hours a week whatever someone might put into it and we threw that energy into our parish. That would change a lot. Yeah. It would change a lot.
1: Um, I, think, I think we are very much so living too much uh, in the moment. Yeah. That we need to become better as Catholics of so having a, a broader and deeper understanding of history. Um, of seeing God as the one who, who is authoring it ultimately. Um, of understanding our our tiny place in the universe as both important because we're God's creation and he's put us here for a purpose and he'll work that purpose, but also realizing we're only one piece of the mosaic. Mm. And we also don't make sense as one piece of the mosaic. Mm. You have to be part of the entire picture for things to come into clearer view. Um, and I think this is why there's so much um, impotency in, uh, in so many of these movements. It's just this... Yelling into the void um, because we have a misunderstanding of, of what the church and what history really is. Um, I think we can do a better job mm-hmm. of that. And you have, to, you have to wade through a lot of stuff. You have to wade through. There's a lot of writing about history that is very much through the lens mm-hmm. of the problems that we've discussed, too, right? So finding good Catholic history uh, is important as well. But there's something about this cult and culture and history. And like I said, yeah, you can see a lot of... it's The problems we're facing now aren't completely new. Right. Uh, but I think there's something
0: different happening. Oh, uh, yeah, know I don't disagree with you there. It, it, I'm just... I guess I'm bringing up stuff like France as... An ex- because right, actually right, right. we all... We have the intellectual tools. Maurice Blondel, Maurice Blondel. Uh, to... Um, to deal with these things, um, but it—it's it, interesting to me. I, maybe I'll just quickly end with this because, um, um, for years, I actually really th- was worried about the rise of integralism, which I know you don't care to know about. Um, but um, <laughs> I was actually lit- legitimately concerned about it, just from stuff I had seen on Twitter or whatever. And then thing, and it kind of took on a life of its own outside of Twitter, even a little bit. Um, it's really not – it's it's not a worry of mine anymore. So this is what, like this is where you're right. It is different too. Um, but we do still have the tools of the past because in a way I want to call it like a neo-integralism or a new integralism because integralism itself essentially wants to see the church govern the state essentially. Um, the church should be it, – since it's the perfect society, it is there – they'll argue it is therefore the only – place that has the perfect form of governance and i'm like have you been to a chancery um (laughs) you know or have you have you seen how we run our parishes um (laughs) yeah right uh uh so there's that but it's it's what i call a neo-integralism which and this is where it's dangerous i'm not going to say the person's name but it really disturbed me when i heard this phrase because this is at the heart of a group of intellectuals in the church and a group of thinkers in the church in America, at least, that I've noticed. And this person used this phrase that we are to achieve Aristotelian ends. So ends towards the good and virtue and everything through Machiavellian means right when i heard that phrase i freaked out because and that is what i'd call a new integralism which sees power and this is the other thing like integral because it's the other problem with integralism it sees power in a modern sense not from a catholic from a theological sense Mm -hmm. um but it sees power as something to be twisted and manipulated in order to achieve a good end that and so it can impose things etc and it has a faulty sense of freedom and so I'm starting to realize that my fear around integralism was kind of justified, but it also it's some, there's something new out there in how we're going about our politics because there are more and more people in the church who are going to two different extremes in how they understand the faith and trying to impose it in the world. And neither of these come from the heart of the church and it scares the heck out of me. And it's the same error. It's the same error.
1: Just like the whole uh, Cold War was the same materialistic error, that both uh, rampant capitalism and uh, Marxism are the same materialist heresy, just two different coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think we forget that. And then, oh, I had one more thing to say as we wrap up. It was something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a romantic vision of Christendom, mm-hmm. but there's also something good about Christendom. Mm-hmm. But the thing we have to remember is that the the new Christendom is going to look different, just as medieval society um, preserved some of the good things of pagan society, but transformed in something new. We we look to the past for for good things, but a new Christian culture is is going to look different. Right. Well, and here... Because, just, you know, it's...
0: Yeah. yeah, and this is... It's going to... Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, the reason it's going to look different, again, this gets to another point. When we talk about... I'm always even hesitant to use the phrase Catholic culture in general. Because, yeah. again, the beauty of Catholicism is how amenable it is to a multiplicity of cultures. Um, But that the church is meant to be 11 which means she does things often in hiding and in secret that slowly change a culture that is authentically itself, but... Um, So like when we say like often we talk about Catholic culture, we essentially want to impose something and destroy whatever isn't Catholic without realizing that the whole phrase Catholic means universal. So you can have Catholicism in Africa and it can be authentically African and authentically Catholic. And you can have Catholicism in North America and it can be authentically Western and it can be authentically Catholic, but they can look very different because the church is actually very malleable towards culture. We have to be careful about this yeah, idea of this imposition form of things.
1: The 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 bindings that bring those two mm-hmm. cultures together are deeper and more invisible than integralists and others think. they Exactly. Are. Yeah. Okay. I think that's good. Sure. Hopefully, people got something out of that. And I, this is, like I said, this is has been percolating in my brain. It's going to keep doing so for a while. But uh, there, 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 you, there go. you go. There you go. Uh, guys hey thanks for listening please leave a review on itunes and tell your friends about the podcast tell your enemies too because jesus says we must love our enemies you can find me listening to really long history podcasts you can find me on twitter at fr harrison contact the podcast and receive updates at clerical pod on twitter find us on facebook youtube or email us at clericalspeaking@gmail.com. at gmail.com peace god bless